This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Damian Bulwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, the growing, highly politicized debate in the Bay Area over whether to continue requiring that children wear masks in schools. Two years into the pandemic, we know that masks have been a simple, low-cost way to cut down on the spread of the coronavirus and save lives. We also know that masks have been the target of misinformation from people who deny the reality of COVID. Now, as the Omicron surge hopefully relents, a growing number of parents and physicians who've previously been pro-mask are urging health officials to make masks optional on campus. My guest, Chronicle reporter Jill Tucker, has been talking to these folks who say the benefits now outweigh the risks. She's also been talking to experts and families who say we're not nearly ready yet, with the U.S. still suffering from high rates of hospitalizations and deaths. Later in the show, reporter Annie Weinstein joins me. She's going to talk about the fallout from Oakland's decision to close or merge some schools due to budget woes. But first, Jill Tucker. Jill, this is one of the most emotional issues it has been since the beginning of the pandemic. That's masks on our children in schools. What possessed you to jump into it now? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, you know, really, the the debate on masking, as you said, has been ongoing since the beginning. Um, but really, it was more of sort of the staunch anti-mask people versus you know, public policy and, you know, public health recommendations and, and you know, people who are pro-mask. Um, and, you know, as a mitigation effort, as a required mitigation effort. But really, you know, what we're seeing now is that this debate has shifted gears. People who were on the same team earlier in terms of masks and vaccines and now, all of a sudden, our mortal enemies in this fight over when to stop masking kids in the schools. So really, you know, it isn't anti-maskers. It's it's people who are saying, look, we're far enough along in this pandemic that we can take the masks off kids. Um, it's time. Uh, you know, the, the, the benefits of taking the masks off outweigh the risks. Um, and then on the other side, you have people then jumping up and down saying, these people are COVID deniers. They don't you know, understand that there is still serious risk and we need to keep the masks on kids. And it, and it's become a really ugly battle. It, it's kind of surprising that you have these people, you know, physicians against physicians, parents against parents, um, teachers against teachers, you know, that are that are battling uh, over this issue now. It's an inevitable discussion. I mean, obviously, children are not going to wear masks forever. On the other hand, it has been a very simple, easy way to to cut down on the pandemic. It's really worked. So at some point in between, we're going to have this discussion. But Jill, all around the country, we're seeing lawsuits. We're seeing politicians go up against parents and teachers. We're seeing laws being made. This coming to California, I think, is going to give people a lot of pause, and people are going to be really worried about the, the level of the debate. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, and it's different everywhere across the country how this is playing out. In California, really what we're seeing is, you know, some some top-level uh, physicians and experts and epidemiologists that are siding to, you know, get rid of some of these mask mandates, if not at least the outside ones. Because, um, you know, there are some kids who are masked all day, including at recess and, and lunch on the playground. Um and so I, I think we're really, you know, they're they're calling on the the state, the governor and and state officials to lift this mandate, saying it, you know, we it's time. And, you know, it's a new phase in the pandemic to a certain degree. I, I think, you know, a lot of other states either never mask their kids or have have pulled away the masks already. Some other countries have done so. Um so, you know, in California, the state has been a lot more conservative in terms of the health mandates during the pandemic. And I think that in part, it was because of the messaging, uh, because of the state's politics, that, you know, there has been a very strong pro-vaccine, pro-mask, um, COVID is scary. Um, you know, there's a lot of fear that's been in that messaging. And now at some point, the state is going to have to say, whoa, 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 don't be afraid anymore. <laughs> and that's kind of hard to do when kids and parents and, uh, and teachers are afraid. All right. Well, let's get into the details. As you said, both sides in maybe this coming debate both believe in mass. They believe in COVID. There isn't this level of complete denial or misinformation that's out there. Get into what the arguments are on both sides for when it's time to say, change the mask rules. Right. So so those that are advocating for uh, removing the mask mandate basically say after the Omicron surge, it's time. And and we are on the downside, uh, it seems, of Omicron. And so, um, you know, it would be soon. They're, they're arguing for um, when the state's um, uh, ma- mask mandate expires on February 15th, if not a week later, when it's, you know, the six-month anniversary of kids being able to get vaccinated. Um, they want it lifted soon, you know, this month. Um, and, uh, yeah, and they, and they basically say, look, there's, there's been a lot of harm in, in these masks, um, you know, whether it's speech development or reading development, um, social issues, anxiety, mental health issues, um, that are, uh, that, that kids are experiencing because they are not having normalcy in their lives, that the, the constant use of fear in, in them having to wear their masks, um, you know, is creating this generation that, um, you know, isn't able to, to sort of interact normally and grow up, you know, normally. And it's, it's been two years. I mean, when you think of kindergartners, they've spent an awful lot of their life in the pandemic and masked. And, you know, that I think these uh, physicians and others are concerned about their mental health. Um, I've talked to parents who say their kids are so anxious that even outside, they don't want to approach a group of strangers, you know, to go see sea lions at Pier 41 because uh, they're afraid that there's too many people there. Um, you know, and it worries parents that they're they're seeing this. They want their kids to be able to not be afraid. And they feel like between the vaccinations, the risk of COVID, uh, or the much lower risk of COVID for children, that it's time to lift the mask mandate. On the other side, you obviously have the people that are saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> we still are in the middle of a surge. Our positivity rate is still around 14%. 
Uh, We have tons of cases, even in California and even high vaccination areas. This is not the time to be discussing this. We still have a long way to go, and we don't know what's around the corner. And they feel that if we lift the mask mandate, that trying to get masks back on kids or in schools, if we have another variant or there's other situations, that you know, it will be too hard to go backward. And and so there's still a lot of fear. Um, there's still a lot of concern that this pandemic is too wily and unpredictable to just sort of jump into no masks in schools. And, and they're saying we need to be, we need to have more of a deliberate uh, tie, you know, when the case rates are lower, when we feel we're really on the other side of this pandemic to lift the masks. And especially with with kids having different situations, perhaps in their own health, at home, they might live with someone who's vulnerable or older. It's hard to to basically tell other people it's time when perhaps other people aren't quite there yet. Right. And I think, you know, obviously, when I, talking to the experts, they're like, look, you know, people can evaluate their own situations. If they want to wear masks for the rest of their life, they can make that decision. It's just that it shouldn't be a decision made for the 6 million kids that are in the state schools. So Jill, why is it so wrapped up in the personal, so wrapped up in the political? Why is this discussion we know going to be so heated and freighted? Yeah, you know, I think everything about the pandemic has been political. And I think that, um, you know, in many ways, in addition to all of the medical and health-related issues, it has been political from the very beginning, that the vaccine has been political, masks have been political, social distancing has been political. So, you know, we, we still have that mentality. And so, you know, for so long, people have been entrenched in that in that battle. And I think it's a little hard to let go and to to start to to let go of all of that and say, yeah, maybe I can be okay with no masks in schools. But but then they they think, well, what does that make me? You know, one mom was like, I'm I really I'm okay with my kids not having masks in schools. And then people start calling me a COVID denier and an anti-mask person, and I have to stop and think, wait, have I gone crazy? You know, <laughs> who am I siding with here? And, yeah, or maybe I can just have the discussion. Yeah, and but it doesn't. I don't know that we can have public discussions. Um, you know, especially since so much of this takes place on social media, right? I mean, there is no uh, polite conversation. It's a lot of vitriol. It's a lot of name calling. And I think you know, there's a lot of threats that if you say that you support removing the mask mandate, that you know. It's a violation of 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 Twitter because you're saying something about masks or yeah, Jill. You mentioned on social media that you were preparing to do some reporting on this story and were attacked. Oh yeah, yeah. There were a lot of people sort of posting about this and tagging me, saying, "Hey, Jill, when are you gonna, you know, write about this? Or when are you gonna look into masks in schools and et cetera, et cetera?" And of course, everybody doing that had their own side of the equation. And I just simply said, stay tuned, because I was working on a math story. Well, that exploded with uh, with folks, you know, really concerned that I was going to take one side or the other. But yeah, it was crazy because, you know, people are so entrenched in their positions that it's very difficult for them. And they feel that 
if the other side gets to remove the mask mandate that they lose somehow or that there's you know there's a there's a zero sum game here of of politics and 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 health and and you know to be clear it it also has been such a hot potato issue um among the teachers union and labor agreements so that plays into it as well especially here in the bay area where teachers uh, staged sickouts in part because they wanted KN95 or N95 masks provided, which are not, you know, it's not part of the public health guidelines, but they wanted better masks for themselves and kids. So they're going in one direction of saying, we want more masking. And then you have other people going exactly the other direction saying, we want the mandate to go away. So you have, you know, this tug of war, right, that becomes very angry, very political, um, and very ugly. All right, Jill. Well, thank you for coming on. Let's all be good to each other and to our education reporters during this upcoming debate. <laughs> Thanks, Jill. Thank you. When we come back on Fifth and Mission, Annie Weinstein on Oakland school closures right after this. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa. I'm joined now by Chronicle reporter Annie Weinstein. We just heard students, teachers, and parents from a number of Oakland schools out in the streets protesting the district's plan to close or merge more than a dozen schools. Annie, tell me about what's going on in Oakland this week. So the Oakland School Board held a special meeting last night about um, a pretty controversial proposal to close and merge more than a dozen schools in the district. Um, and school board members say that that's the only option in response to um, increasing budget shortfalls over the last two decades. All right, school closures are obviously excruciating for, for students, for families. What has brought Oakland to this point? So Oakland has been dealing with budget issues for a while, in part because of enrollment and attendance. Um, so they've lost more than 15,000 students in the last two decades. Part of that is part of the reason they say that enrollment is declining is because of the pandemic, um, as well as a lack of new housing developments that support affordable uh, housing for families and lower birth rates in district neighborhoods. Charter schools are also a part of it. Um, but in any case, that's led to billions of dollars um, in repairs that the district has been not been able to act on. And board members have said that the district is projected to reach deficits of 12.3 million in 2023 and 7.1 million by the end of the 2024 fiscal year. And they've also said that this, these budget shortfalls have led to billions of dollars in repairs, um, facility and maintenance repairs that the district has not been able to act on. Uh, they also say that they haven't been able to recruit 
teachers um, because of issues with competitive pay. So OUSD is really in a lot of trouble and they feel that closing schools and merging schools is really the only way forward. But a lot of community members don't agree. Now, this was the subject of a very emotional meeting of the school board. Annie, you check that out. Uh, What were people in the community, what were parents and students saying? Well, Damien, there were 1,800 people, at least at some point, there were 1,800 people tuned in to the meeting. And so it's really clear that a lot of people had something to say about this and wanted to make sure that their voices were heard. Um, And pretty much across the board, we heard sort of similar sentiments that this proposal is unjust, um, that the school board has not worked with some of these schools to increase enrollment, and most importantly, that these closures and mergers would really disrupt and really disproportionately impact students of color. Um, African-American students and Latino students make up almost half of the students at many of the schools, and many of them, too, would impact students with special education needs and those who are English language learners. So there are a lot of concerns about how these changes may affect students who are already struggling within the district. In other words, the most vulnerable students already and perhaps the families that can deal least with a big change like this are going to be affected the most. Exactly. Annie, your story mentioned talk of a hunger strike. What was that? So there were two people who spoke at public comment. One identified himself as a staff member in the district, and another person uh, identified themselves as a choir and dance teacher at Westlake Middle School, which is one of the schools that's slated uh, or scheduled for a merger. Um, And both of them said that they will start a hunger strike until the district decides against the resolution. And they actually penned an open letter to the district and to the community saying that they will not consume any food or nutritional sustenance at the expense of their own health until the district ends all school closures and meets to honor uh, their demands. Or they added in the letter until their internal organs fail and they die. Um, you know, one of them even said that if I die, I want the board to know that my death was at your hands. And it seems, Damien, like they're really serious about this. And I think it just goes to show how deep and raw and emotional this conversation is about school closures. I tried to talk to one of the teachers on Tuesday, uh, and they said that their brain was fried and that it was likely because of not eating, but that they weren't able to talk over the phone, but that they were continuing the hunger strike and seemed committed to carrying that out. All right. With that said, then, what's next? What's next for the board? Well, the board is expected to vote on February 8th. And in the meantime, there have already been some actions that various teachers and concerned community members have taken. There was a walkout at Westlake Middle School on Tuesday at noon. And there's also a protest planned for outside of Prescott Elementary, which I'd mentioned was one of the oldest schools in Oakland. That's planned for 10 a.m. outside of the school on Saturday. All right, Annie Weinstein, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks to my guests today. They're Chronicle reporters Jill Tucker and Annie Weinstein. Thanks to Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.